I'm Frederick Gerten, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. So we are back with Pushback Talks, and we're again, you know, a few weeks ago we had the Danish uh, housing minister, Kåre Dybved, talking about the, you know, the right to housing. And, and today we are also visited by a European top politician, and that's exciting. Franz Timmermans, who is the executive vice president of the European Commission. For you, I mean, we, we have audience in 103 countries, so of course not everyone understands how, organize, how the European Union is organized, but, but Mr. Timmermans was before uh, foreign minister of the Netherlands, so he's Dutch, he's a social democrat, and he's a senior European politician, has been in many positions uh, for a long time. So it, it, we're... We have a guest with a lot of experience. Welcome to Pushback Talks, uh, Mr. Timmermans. Thank you very much. You have an extremely kind way of saying I'm old. <laughs> Come on, I'm, I'm five years older, so you, you should just be respect me. <laughs> but it's true, you're, you're also old. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not a politician, though. I'm just a filmmaker. Good for you. <laughs> Leilani... Uh, I mean, you're so used to meet uh, top politicians in your job as a UN special rapporteur, foreign ministers, finance ministers, and so on. Have you have you met with Franz Timmermans before? I have been on a panel with Franz very recently, but no, we have not met in person. Uh, not not yet, but maybe when this COVID ends, there will be opportunities. That's cool. I certainly hope so. Yeah, we we met actually online at the, the progressive group of the European Parliament where there was a housing week and they they all actually saw Push the Film, the film that stars Leilani Farah. And Mr. Timmermans, you were in and you said millions of Europeans should watch Push. Why do you think so? <laughs> well, I, I think I think um, the housing crisis is is one of the hidden uh, socioeconomic problems in our society. Uh, everybody experiences it. Uh, increasing number of Europeans are, are are unable to to afford a decent uh, roof over their heads. Um, speculators have taken over large parts of what used to be social housing, and and still we see it as a sort of an individual problem. We 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 don't see it enough as a collective problem, as 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 a problem of failing redistribution. And I think in that sense, the housing crisis is, is, is a, a clear example of where, where our market-based economy has gone wrong since sort of the Reagan-Thatcher years to, to, to assume that everything can be based on profit and that, and that the market in itself is just, which it isn't. Adam Smith knew that the market in itself wasn't just, but we've sort of assumed that, that that's the form of liberalism that has taken over large parts of our society. And now it's fortunately quickly being corrected uh, and and i hope that we can make sure that it's also corrected in housing but we still have a long way to go before we're there yeah what do you say leilani mm. i'd have to agree with everything that franz just said i've had the opportunity to when i was rapporteur actually i did a an official visit to um, portugal 
in 2016, and I did an official visit to France, uh, I think it was in 2019, uh, two very different countries and two countries that have been affected very differently by the global financial that were affected differently by the global financial crisis. I'm interested to hear you talk a little bit, Franz, if you will, about how you think um, Europe has gone wrong. You said that, you know, you think that the market system um, doesn't work and and isn't working. Um, But has the EU itself, has the commission played a role in that, do you think? And what's your assessment of the commission's position well, yeah, well, globally speaking, I think uh, all levels of government uh, in the last, well, 30, 40 years have um, um, embraced uh, market forces as forces for the good. And in many areas, they, they, they turn out to be forces for the good. But in housing, housing where, of course, we at the European level have very, very little to say because we have very little competence. Uh, but housing is is too... It's too many-faced. It's too complicated to just apply uh, market rules. And and that's where where you see uh, when the rules of competition are applied in the housing market, um, it it has sometimes effects that I think basically were not wanted uh, initially. Um, and, And I can refer to my own country, the Netherlands, as an example, where social housing, there's always been a sort of a, a model whereby uh, social housing is not just for the poorest, uh, because that's that's sometimes in some countries the idea. Social housing is for people who can't afford anything else. But you can make decent living affordable for a large group if you organize social housing across society. Uh, and that's what was the, the model in, in, in traditional social de- democracy. It started in Europe 100 years ago. But then when market forces came about, um, uh, they thought, well, we can help social housing by bringing it to the market. And the only effect of that was soaring housing prices and, and housing becoming less affordable. And, and and then the commission, if you bring it to the market, the European Commission has the, uh, the treaty obligation to apply market rules. And then, you know, you put limits on social housing, you look whether competition is fair, you look whether there's not too much state aid, and that's where I think we, we got stuck. We got stuck with one logic, which says not too much state aid, fair competition. And the other, other logic that says we need to organize housing in the best possible way, in an equitable way, uh, so that you create a decent re- redistribution. And, and take, take an example. To, uh, let me take an example. Two cities in Europe, Berlin and Vienna. Uh, in the uh, Obviously, also because of the end of the European divide, which which coincided with sort of the hubris of market thinking, um, uh, they thought in, in in Berlin, okay, let's sell a lot of the social housing and it will be renovated and bring a lot of money and 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 look at the housing prices now in Berlin. Then compare that to Vienna, where for reasons not really linked to ideology, simple because they couldn't afford it at the time, they decided not to go to the market and maintain the system of social housing. Um, uh, and now, uh, you know, Vienna, which is one of the most expensive cities in Europe, still has affordable social housing in the city um, because it was kept under uh, public control. And and I think these two cities compare it interestingly because politically they don't differ that much. Um, uh, they're both uh, sort of 
certainly left leaning and 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 mostly led by social democrats uh, for the last 100 years um, but the choices they made in the housing market had uh, completely different consequences and, and and so so that's the sort of trying to explain where things went wrong and also acknowledging that we all have a responsibility in this including the european commission yeah. i mean in the film we meet uh, professor stieglitz uh, talking about, um, of course, also the legacy from uh, Milton Friedman and Chile and the, the whole the Chicago school kind of economics with deregulations, deregulation. But that politics also became partly also the European Social Democrats adopted that in many countries, also in my own country. It, they thought it was necessary to to speed up the economy in many ways, but the, so they opened the door, but they forgot to close it. I think, I think the issue is you know, when uh, um, uh, Reagan and Thatcher, or I should say Thatcher and Reagan, because she she was first, when they started this idea of unleashing forces by deregulating, it did work. It did bring economic growth. Um, and then when Social Democrats came back to power, they thought of uh, they thought they could be sort of like judo uh, wrestlers. You know, take that force that was moving in one direction and sort of bend with it in the same direction and turn it around to uh, serve uh, social purposes. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't work enough or it didn't work at all. And I think in housing, it didn't work. It did to some extent work in parts of healthcare and education um, to some extent. Uh, um, it did work in the marketplace because worker protection did improve, salaries did increase. But take salaries. If you compare the rise of salaries with the rise of housing prices, the gap has only gotten bigger. Yeah. And that's that's what we are also addressing in, in Push the Film. And we, I mean, Leilani can know a lot about that. The, the salaries hasn't risen the last 10 years, but the, the, the housing prices has gone totally bananas. And, and uh, Leilani, I mean, this is, this is what you're up against all the time. Exactly. And I really like the way you framed certain things, Franz, because my sense as uh, we're in the midst of this pandemic and some new policies are emerging and new conversations around get government stepping back in and government doing more to alleviate um, the socioeconomic disadvantages of m many groups there is something still particular and peculiar about housing or in its other name, residential real estate. And the peculiarity is that it remains a strong asset that can curry huge uh, profits. And it remains a place where the Uber investors are interested. And so and and it it's a lucrative place. And so I do like your framing, because you said right at the beginning, it's like there's something um, untouched about housing. I'm seeing it even in this pandemic. Like, it's like, yes, we understand the importance of healthcare now. We now understand even, um, you know, employment and wages, et cetera. We're revisiting all of that. And there remains this stubbornness around <laughs> housing because of the role it plays in economies, I think. I agree. And I, I believe it's also linked to, to one of the fundamental notions in any market-based economy, which is linked to the, the sanctity of private property. Uh, and, and since you, uh, housing has been privatized to such an extent, 
which which you would think means privatized that the the whole the people who dwell in the housing also own the housing which sadly is not the case um and so you've sanctified um you know you've sent you've actually sanctified uh slum lords um to to put it in the most radical way um and that's what you saw in a financial crisis you saw uh, across the western world how they first it got people into financial trouble um, uh, before the crisis. And then when the crisis hit, they got themselves out of trouble and the people out of their houses uh, in, in many countries. Um, so I think there's something really fundamentally wrong here that is that is a, a bigger issue that, that is hidden a bit. Uh, uh, and and that because, because it addresses some of the most fundamental things in any free society. Uh, and I think private property or the misunderstanding of what private property is in housing, I think, is part mm. of it. In, also in film, Joseph Stieglitz talks about, uh, of course, the growing inequality gap, the, the income gap. But he also talks that, about the role of the financial crisis in 2008, where the government, to save the economy, to save the banks, actually gave a lot of power to the hedge funds. So we're exactly. talking about Blackstone, who... Is I mean, they entered the housing market in 2012, and now they're like the biggest player on the planet. In a very, it's a very short time. And, and you can see their business model is copied by lots of other firms, and they're moving in. And you, I can also see in my own town here, the concentration of ownership is it's moving very fast. So it's, it's new players. I, I don't know how you, you see this, or Leilani, or you, but... But I have the impression that this is even exacerbated now in the pandemic because because there's so much money that's looking for a good investment, so much money, and that 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 people are putting it in real estate because it's 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 a safe bet. But they, I wonder who profits from that. It's the it's the people with all that money that's looking for a place that are now buying real estate at incredible rates. And and what happens afterwards? What happens to the people who live there? What's going to happen to their rents, etc.? So I, I think we have to be extremely careful that the pandemic doesn't exacerbate all exactly. of this right now. So No, that's that's exactly right. Sorry, no, Frederick, go ahead. Stiglitz was very critical to his own government, which, which was then the Obama administration that took over just after the crisis, their solutions. But on a European level, we did almost the same, didn't we? The European Central Bank advised Cyprus, Malta, Portugal to open up for golden visas. I mean, there was a lot of things coming out that really created even worse problems in many, in many countries. Well, yes, and also also pushing countries to privatize uh, a lot of public assets. Uh, you know, uh, first first the advices to Greece to sell uh, the port of Piraeus uh, to anyone, including uh, China. Once they sold it to China, the criticism is you're letting China and you shouldn't have done that. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, the, the many, many mistakes were made in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. Many mistakes were made. And we now have an opportunity, now that we have to come back from the pandemic, to, to, to be aware of those mistakes, not repeat them, and sometimes even correct them. Can you, do you have a sense that, that your colleagues around Europe are now much more aware about this? Uh, I think so. I think so. If you look, you know, there's an election on in my, my uh, country uh, in two days' time. And if you, you know, all the programs uh, from the extreme right uh, to the radical left 
they're all on the socioeconomic side. They're all, I would say, left leaning. Uh, even the most liberal party now is is advocating uh, government intervention, redistribution. I'm not sure they mean it, and I'm not sure they'll all do it, but they know that's what the people are asking for. And look at the United States. Did you see that stimulus package? Would you think that would have been possible? Because it's not just about giving, because the, the right in the US just wants to give tax relief. You know, it's it's like it's like a, a medieval doctor who thinks that bloodletting is the only cure for any uh, illness. Uh, the right is still on the line that the only cure for any illness is uh, is tax relief. Well, to what point can you still relieve taxes if, if if people aren't even paying taxes if they're very rich? So now with the, the Biden administration, you see that they're turning a page in the US and I find it amazing. And I hope the rest of the world is watching because we're going in a different direction now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, uh, I think what... Uh... President Biden recently did and his um, uh, speech that came after that package uh, was very telling. And I do think it's a huge, a huge move. I do worry that um, what's necessary on the structural side, the dismantling of certain things won't happen. And that the analysis where housing is concerned is is thin. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> in my own country, so I'm based in Canada, the Bank of Canada, so our central bank, has said that it wants to hold interest rates low over the next two years and isn't going to increase them. And some would argue, well, that's great. That's really good for job creation, employment, etc. But on the housing side, it's very bad because low interest rates is what l allows these big actors to come in and and get loans money is cheap for them and um invade the housing landscape and so there's there's um i i just worry that the, like that's a fairly um, important and big structural move that a central bank could make. There's other things, the way in which we've talked on this show about real estate investment trusts, which are just a financial instrument to allow these big actors to buy en masse. And they are given preferential tax treatment at state level. Um, that's part of the liberalization of the housing market that happened after the global financial crisis. And unless those tax regimes are undone, those re real estate investment trusts are still going to go in. So the question is, what hope is there in Europe for those big structural changes? And I, I, I know that um, um, European parliamentarian Kim uh, Van Sparentak asked, uh, put forward a report that was adopted by the EU Parliament over 300 votes in favor. I'm just wondering what your thoughts on that. And do you think that's a sign of something? Because it really affirms the right to housing. It talks about financialization, etc. Well, I think we're on the verge, hopefully, of uh, rediscovering the need to have um, a public uh, context or set a public framework uh, for, for housing to be fair. Um, and indeed, the report is clear on that. The problem, however, is that we have very, very limited competences at the European level uh, to look into the issue. So we need to convince um, at the member state level uh, politicians uh, to act. And then there are huge differences. Um, you know, the de definition of social housing differs hugely between Sweden and, and, and Spain or France and the Netherlands or Italy and, and Finland. Um, to, so to find common ground is extremely complicated. Um, but I think 
what they all will face is, first of all, the need to uh, to bring housing to a higher level. Uh, we we the the energy consumption of housing is is reduced. Existing housing is reduced by but one percent a year. If we want to make climate neutrality by twenty fifty, it has to double to at least two percent a year, and that's a massive investment, and that will have to be done partly with public and partly with private money. So so that's a huge operation. Um, uh, secondly. The risk of energy poverty, already now 30 million Europeans just don't put on any heating in the winter because they're afraid they can't afford to pay uh, the bill. So we need to make sure that not just because uh, of the climate, but also because of the affordability that we bring down energy consumption and that we offer much cheaper forms of heating or cooling housing, solar panels, heat pumps, uh, city uh, heating or cooling, uh, using hydrogen in the future, etc., and all of that also warrants massive investments. But also comes with huge opportunity, because as soon as you start investing in this, you get the housing sector working again, you get builders working again, and it's across society that you will immediately see an increase in in production and increase in in labour. So so. We're in a, in a transformational day and age, and we could get this right. We could also get it terribly wrong. Uh, but first of all, uh, Leilani, I think we need, we, Leilani, we need to have the right analysis of the problem for politicians to see it. And 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 I come back to my initial point: the the seriousness of where we are is not seen yet um, in in its in its complexity. Uh, but I think we will be getting there. I think I'm relatively optimistic for for where this is going now. I, I will just say that you, you speak in depth about the, the climate challenges, and I have to inform our listeners that you're, as a EU commissioner, responsible for the European uh, New Green Deal. That's right. And the other day you met with John Kerry, who is the, the US uh, responsible for the same. So you're in the midst of, of some of the major challenges we all stand in front of. So we are happy that you... you you're in our podcast. Uh, we we also think that the housing crisis is is one of the bigger challenges that we are up against, uh, but certainly also the climate crisis, of course. Mm. One of the things that um, you mentioned, Franz, that I've been trying to pay attention to amongst <laughs> amidst so much but is this idea of energy poverty which I know is a huge reality for so many as you mentioned in Europe across Europe um, and the idea of the renovation wave which is super important obviously because we need to ensure people's homes are energy efficient and warmer etc of course on the other side of that is my concern that um, it could be used as a way of getting people out of their units. Reno, we call them renovictions. You know, a landlord will say, oh, I need to make my property more climate friendly, uh, more energy efficient. Sorry, you'll have to leave and people will be ousted. And I'm just wondering if you have that similar concern in light of the fragility of housing right now. That's that's the eternal concern. Um, also in social housing through the ages, you know, I went through this with with my grandparents. Uh, they didn't want to leave their house, which was in a terrible state, a uh, council house, in a terrible state. But they didn't want to leave it because they were afraid uh, after renovation that uh, two things, that their house would be too expensive for them. And secondly, that the neighborhood would change, that other people would come in and they wouldn't feel uh, comfortable in their own neighborhood. And I think this is a, an eternal problem in any 
renovation in any change you apply. And that's where the state, uh, whether it's the municipality, whether it's other authorities, have a huge responsibility. You cannot leave this to private ownership. Uh, if, if, if these are, um, um, you know, corporations, they can be controlled uh, uh, um, uh, through regulation um, by authorities. If these are investors, yeah, you never know. Um, you know, uh, uh, are they? What? What is their? What is their idea about this? How are they going to look for it? Because usually, when when you work with corporations in big cities, uh, they have profit making and loss making uh, projects, and they balance it out so that they can afford, they can uh, offer affordable uh, uh, housing uh, to a larger group of people. Well, of course, an investor will not do this. A private investor. So, so I think there there will be the need of of public um, control uh, of public um, organization uh, and and perhaps the legislation isn't fit for that at this stage but uh, authorities will have to organize that because otherwise you will not get people to embrace the idea of renovation and you have to do the math you have to do the calculations you have to show uh, convincingly that the renovation will lead to lower energy price lower energy consumption and lower energy bill at a time where energy prices will rise uh, until we have sustainable energy uh, in sufficient uh, sufficient amounts france the, the there is there are some really interesting things going on around europe i mean we have berlin that decided on a rent cap we we had we have denmark who has now a national legislation with a rent cap and we also have catalonia which is also moving quite forward so there's like three energies in europe that are actually where the, also where the tenant movements are really strong and the, the city movements are strong. How can we make more countries adopting this? And, and what, what, what is the role of, of, of your, your group in Europe? What, what can you do to, to move this? Because it's, it, is, it is very inspirational. It, it is. Um, but two, two comments. First of all, um, you know, I wish we had the competence to interfere directly. We, we can only convince with exchange of information. Uh, we might look at our own rules in terms of competition policy, and we will have to look at state aid rules if you really think the renovation wave has to happen. So that's our homework at the European level. Uh, but most of it will have to be done at the national level and sometimes even at the subnational uh, level, like in what's happening in Spain right now, what's happening in Germany, because... Not everyone in Germany agrees uh, uh, about the way uh, forward, um, but that there has to be control with an aim to create uh, a fair redistribution uh, is clear across the board. So that my that's my first. My second remark is the differences within Europe are huge, 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 cultural differences, historic differences, uh, political differences. Now, if you talk about social housing in my country and then you talk about social housing in France, it's like you're on two different planets. Um, and, and we have to respect also national traditions in, in, this, uh, in this context. Uh, and, and in some countries, uh, housing is also intimately linked to um, uh, other socioeconomic uh, problems. Uh, you know, if you concentrate poverty in certain areas, then it's not just the housing that's a problem. Uh, there's unemployment, there's crime, there's other issues. So I, I would I would I would argue we need a completely holistic approach. But let's put housing front and center because now housing is sort of the 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 back the, so the back office 
front offices, do you have a job? Are you healthy? Do you have education? But housing is just as important as these other issues. You know, uh, food on the table and a roof over your head. I mean, that's it doesn't get more basic than that. In the, the talk we had with the Danish housing minister, Kordy, but he said something really, really radical. That he said that also a bus driver and a nurse have the right to live in, in town. <laughs> and and that's like, it shouldn't be radical, but it is. Well, you, you know, it's not just about having the right. The town has the need. We have in, in parts of the Netherlands, uh, schools can't get teachers in the bigger cities because the teachers can't afford to live in those cities. So, so it's not just because you 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 think people have the right for that. You need to start thinking. It's in your interest. You want you want your kids to have teachers. Then you have to get collectively organized so that the teachers can actually live in the cities. Absolutely, yeah. No, I I I, I love that. Let's put housing front and center. Um, and I do think there is something uh, again peculiar about housing because of, um, in my experience, you know, I've met with people in their homes all around the world, and there is something deeply private about housing. And when one when one is living in inadequate housing, it's often um, perceived as a personal failure rather than some st- big structural thing. You know, the stuff I talk about they're like whoa I'm part of some big pattern and Frederick and I have experienced that with the with the screenings of push people coming up to Frederick and I afterwards saying I suddenly don't feel so alone I realize I'm part of some big global thing so I I think that's right um one of the things I wanted to bring up um on a previous podcast we were speaking with a author and uh, academic Rory Hearn from Ireland. He's written a book called Housing Shock, very much about what we're talking about here today, financialization, housing, and affordability. And he, one of the, thi- one of the things uh, he said that he thought could happen at European level um, is that the European Investment Bank could harness more resources that then flow to states for the development of social housing. That for example, Ireland was receiving money from the European Investment Bank, but enough to build 400 units when they need 4,000 units kind of thing. So I don't know if you think that there is possibility there with the Investment Bank, which has shown um, some sensitivity to this as a, an important issue. Absolutely, absolutely. And the bank is more than willing to do that. Um, they have had a couple of projects uh, that are extremely successful. One I know is in the north of France, where they uh, modernized social housing and brought it up to standard also in terms of uh, climate. Um, and it was a huge success. The The challenge for the European Investment Bank and the other financial institutions actually, but I know the EIB a bit better, is to find the scalability of this. You know, they, they're willing to do this. Most financial institutions are because investment in real estate is, is pretty safe if you compare it to, to other investments. So if you take out a loan against against a house, it's pretty safe, uh, especially if you uh, modernize it professionally, if you uh, if you do it right with support of also the local and, and national authorities, it's just a safe bet. So there is a huge willingness in the financial world uh, to do this. So our task at the European Commission is to see whether we can scale this up um that we can you know create a way a renovation wave literally across the european union that would because you know starting with social housing is not so bad because that's usually uh, uh, of enough um, uh, amplitude uh, to really make a difference 
Um, and, and so that's what we want to do and combine it with schools and hospitals and bring them up to a speed as well. Uh, and I think that's what we should be doing in the next couple of years. And then we, you will see an improvement in social housing. And, and, and so many people, especially who are already struggling, are extremely skeptical about the European Green Deal and about all the changes it brings. And if we can show to them that it's a win-win-win, uh, you know, you get you get uh, more work, uh, you get a better house, you get a lower uh, energy bill. If we can show that, they will start believing it. Just by saying it, they won't believe it because they've been let down too often. Um, but by showing that it works, I think we can really create a new movement. Mm-hmm. And by preventing renovations. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> We're still up against the vulture funds and the vulture funds are really, really hungry. And I mean, also, especially there, as there is this big renovation need, I can see here in Sweden, for example, the many smaller cities are selling houses to be able to build new, but they're actually selling two apartments to be able to build one new. So the, the, the city-owned housing stock goes down all the time, which is, like, of course, not so good. And, and, the, and the players coming in are the Blackstones, the Fonavias or or other financialized institutions. But, but we, should, we should be treating this as a natural phenomenon. This can happen because there's no regulation, because, this, because the, the public authorities don't intervene. You have all the possibility uh, to intervene. And I, I would argue if we can bring it to light, there will be huge public outcry and people will want uh, authorities to intervene. That's, that's why you see cities like, like Berlin reacting. And time will tell whether the reaction is right or whether it's counterproductive. But the fact that they react is, is, is already a sign that public authorities understand the responsibility. And I hope we can increase that across Europe and across the world uh, in the years to come. Yeah, that's that's the big challenge for all of us, Leilan. And, and you're in the middle of this as, as the global director of the shift. I am. I mean, uh, I... I think it's a little bit, um, like, I just wonder how much leadership the commission, for example, could provide without actually meddling. It's not dissimilar from where I stand, because I live in a country that is a federal state where the national government doesn't have competency in the area of housing, except in terms of spending, not dissimilar from the relationship between the commission and European states. I just think some leadership might be necessary, because if you take a place like Portugal, I mean, I know it because I visited there, they were very clearly told by the European Central Bank, um, as well as the international financial institutions to liberalize their housing uh, market and uh, their housing system, I should say. And some of that was true. I mean, there were there were some antiquated aspects of Portugal's um, housing system. There's no doubt about that. But it also led to things like golden visas. Um, it led to the dominance of Airbnb in the city centers, etc. And I mean, the city governments and national government would argue back, you know, saying, well, we did this because of what European Central Bank was telling us to do and what the international financial institutions were telling us to do. So some sort of outspokenness at European level on this issue could probably benefit those courageous governments like city government of Lisbon, the national government of Portugal, Catalonia, etc. If you see what I mean. Well, I see what you mean, but but not everything that was done was wrong, by the way. Let's not let's no. not say that. And I said well. that, yeah. You, you also said that, uh, Leilani, but, but what I want to say is this. Through the covenant of mayors and through other ways of engaging with local authorities this is exactly what we're trying to do as european commission to share the best experiences to empower them to do that because you know especially in cities with housing 
come uh, 5G, come uh, emission-free public transport, come cycling lanes, which are now coming to all major cities, all huge investments. And if they put them in the recovery plans that we're assessing right now, you know, we have 1.8 trillion uh, to spend in the next seven years to recover uh, from the pandemic and to transform our society in sustainable societies, uh, we encourage member states to come up with ideas for the renovation wave, and we will sort of steer that, uh, hopefully, in the right direction. Um, and that's the influence we can now uh, exert on, on, on the plans that are being made, and we'll absolutely do our best and bring the best experiences to the table, uh, have um, local authorities also talk to each other, um, et cetera, et cetera, bring the banks into this, um, and, and, you know, you, you have some extremely capable uh, local authorities uh, across the European Union. Um, sometimes, uh, uh, like in, in Lisbon, they, 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 they're really moving ahead really fast, uh, astonishingly fast uh, in the right direction. Sometimes they're at odds with the national authorities. You know, if, if in Central Europe, you have some very uh, forward-looking cities like Warsaw and, and Budapest, and, uh, Prague, and then they are they are sort of stifled by the national authorities because because of political differences, uh, and then we also need to make sure that we don't create a political conflict, but we put the our citizens uh, front and center and and their needs. Um, so yeah, it's challenging, but I think we're moving in the right direction. It's uh, obviously you would say it's a bit late, and you're absolutely right. But uh, you know you you can only change a thing once the sense of urgency is 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 there. Milani and France, we are. I guess France has to move on to new meetings because that's what you, that's I'm what you do I all do. the time. <laughs> I, I, have, yeah. I have a little note that we made before. Uh, we should not be too nice, Leilani. I think we've been too nice. What do you, <laughs> <laughs> Leilani? I don't know. I think okay. I think in our Bring gentle way, yeah, in our gentle way, we have indicated that there's a lot that could still be done. Uh, to well, move think, this forward. Uh, what we've been very much talking about where we went out with the film, it's like, it's about changing the language and we've been living with the language of the market saves everything. And Leilani moved the language to housing is a human right. And we can see that her language is now, I mean, now even the president of the US is there. So it's something has certainly happened. So it's now it's more like to 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 keep this, preserve this moment and, and to move it forward. And it's, it's been very inspiring to, to listen to you, Franz, and I'm, I'm very grateful that you could give us some time. Thank you, Friedrich. It was a pleasure. And you said in, in your talk at the European Housing Week that you wanted millions to watch Push. So how shall we do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll promote it wherever I can. Um, uh, I will also ask uh, the Commission Services, uh, you know, we... Uh, with limited, uh, we, can't, we we very often we can't even uh, bring ourselves into the media. You know that's it's not it's not always easy. But with the limited uh, possibilities we have, I'd, I'd gladly try and promote uh, uh, the idea behind the film and the film uh, for people to become more aware. Because again, uh, I think awareness is everything in this area. Um, you don't have to convince anybody. Not one citizen. You need to convince that housing is important. Uh, but the uh, problems, structural problems behind 
their dissatisfaction very often are hidden. And we need to bring them to light before we can fix them. And in your own country, the film has been on VPRO, one of the big broadcasters, and we showed yeah. it at the big Carré Theater in Amsterdam with 1,300 people. So we, we know that, and we also know that in, in the Netherlands, this is a very strong debate, as in many other countries. But it's, it's cool that we can keep, that the film still can play a role to open up these this local debates. Absolutely. But thank you very much for, for taking part. And, and we wish you all the best. And, uh, and It was my pleasure. And, uh, and good luck with your work. All the best, Frederick. All the best, Leilani. And speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks so much, Franz. Bye. Bye-bye. So, Pushback Talks again, Leilani. We've, we've made it. And what do we need to say now? <laughs> I think it's actually up to you to say it. Oh, you do? Yeah. About the fact that we do this podcast with zero resources on borrowed time and that we need more patrons to support us is that what you wanted me to talk about yes and if you're a patron you can also be part of a secret group where, where you can actually talk to us and suggest uh, stuff we should talk about we have a very nice group of patrons that are keeps keeps us updated and that's 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 really really cool thank you to all of you who are already our patrons And of course, why don't, I mean, how many trillions were the EU pushing out now? Maybe we could have one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, should have, we should have asked, Franz, while, well, you know, oh, hmm, darn shit. it. We Next are time. not good Next fundraisers. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, thank you, Leilani, and, and have a nice day over there in Le Canada. Merci bien pour tout. Au revoir. Pour tout. À bientôt. Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushtofilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>